And welcome to The Movie Passport, a podcast series about world cinema. Today we'll be traveling to the country of Brazil. My name is Duncan, or Velcroist on the internet, and joining me to chat about Brazilian cinema, we have... Noite e muito obrigado, senhores. Hey, it's, it's Alex, known as Lucky Charms on the Discord in sundry places. And I'm Matt. Hello. You don't have a cool Portuguese introduction? No. <laughs> Again, minimal prep work is my MO. Fair enough. There's still time. Uh, thanks for coming on, guys, um, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, before we get into our main discussion, I'd just like to give the listener a brief history of Brazil and its film industry. So, Brazil is the largest country in South America and the sixth most populous country in the world. Its Amazon basin includes a vast tropical forest that is home to diverse wildlife. The name Brazil derives from the Portuguese term for red like an ember, which is how sailors describe the native timber trees. Brazil has been inhabited by numerous tribal nations, including the Marajora, Tupis, and Guaranis peoples. In 1500 AD, the European explorer Pedro Alvarez Cabral landed in Brazil and claimed the area for the Portuguese Empire. In the first two centuries of colonization, indigenous and European groups lived in constant war. By the mid-16th century, cane sugar had become Brazil's most important export, while West African slaves had become its largest import. Toward the end of the 16th century, gold was discovered in Brazil, attracting thousands of new settlers from Portugal and its other colonies. In the early 19th century, a political and military revolution erupted, resulting in Brazil achieving independence. Throughout the 19th and 20th century, the country was plagued by civil, economic, and military crises, resulting in a series of violent revolutions. An authoritarian military regime, backed by the United States, ruled the country from the 1960s to the 1980s, after which time civilian governance resumed. Brazil is a newly industrialized country with an advanced emerging economy, but still suffers from significant amounts of corruption, crime, and social inequality. Brazilian cinema had a major impact during the first decade of the 20th century, with local filmmakers producing and distributing around 100 short films a year. Most of these films were made as passion projects rather than commercial endeavors. A popular genre during this era was the reconstruction of crimes that had been recently reported by the press. Musical films were also popular, with actors hiding behind the screen during their silent film projections and dubbing themselves singing. Despite its multiracial population, early Brazilian films rarely employed black actors, and the practice of blackface was common. Hollywood films were also extremely popular in Brazil, making it the third largest foreign market for American cinema. Oscarito and Grande Otello emerged as the country's leading comedy duo, starring in dozens of films and helping reflect the ethnic diversity of the country. During the 1960s and 70s, Cinema Novo, or New Cinema, emerged. It was pioneered by filmmakers like Glauber Rocha 
and made in response to class and racial unrest in Brazil and in opposition to Hollywood cinema, which Rocher regarded as superficial and colonial. Notable Cinema Novo films include Black God, White Devil, Barren Lives, and Bye Bye Brazil. Despite a reduction in state funding, Brazilian cinema boomed in the 1990s, resulting in dramas like O Quatrilo, thrillers like Four Days in September, and crime films like City of God, all of which were nominated for Academy Awards. So that is a brief recap of the country and its film industry. Um, I was curious, before we start our main discussion, do you guys have any... Uh, any connection to Brazil? Have you ever been there? Um, do you know much about the country? Um, and have you watched many Brazilian films? I mean, no, I don't think I have any like emotion. Oh, I've certainly never visited Brazil. I have any emotional connection, really. I mean, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it for Elite Squad, but I've watched a handful of Brazilian movies in like school and like media studies courses and global cinema stuff, but mm -hmm. nothing major. Yeah, no, I, I pretty much haven't watched anything. I mean, honestly, like, I, I really mainly joined this just because <laughs> I've been meaning to watch City of God forever, and this was just a good way to, like, force myself to do it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I've watched anything from there ever before this. Um, I did go there. I was there during, like, high school. It was randomly a, a school trip, of all things. Um, I mean, it was a weird thing where it was kind of like a... You know, it was technically, um, you know, one of the the teachers led it, but like we did, do, you know, we did it essentially after school ended in the summer, so it wasn't really like a, you know, an educational trip type thing or anything. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, my, I mean, my mom has more of a connection to it just because she she did a a year abroad there in, I think for like her senior year of high school or or something like that. There were, you know, some weird program thing that probably doesn't exist anymore <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so so yeah well, you know and go ahead whereabouts did you go in brazil when you visited um and so yeah so we covered we covered kind of you know three main areas which being the the amazon um where we you know we actually like took a boat you know in you know down one of the rivers and wow. stayed in this yeah and stayed that's in this, an amazing you know, trip <laughs> right yeah stayed in this essentially you know essentially like a treehouse type thing you know, kind of this like lodging place, you know, kind of built along one of the rivers there. Um, you know, in, in retrospect, it, it was pretty cool. You know, I was a little, little young at the time and just kind of like whatever on it. Um, and yeah, then we did Sao Paulo and, and Rio. Um, and yeah, I do, <laughs> I'd say probably, you know, the most vivid memory I, I had is doing one of those, you know, what we have here in, in the States is, you know, Brazilian steakhouse. Um, you know, but for real, um, and, you know, have the thing where they just bring, you know, bring around a whole collection of, of meat or whatever. And you just kind of say like, yes or no, you want that, some of that, you know, kind of like a free for all, like crazy buffet type thing. That's delicious. Wow. Do you, do you have many memories of the cities? Um, probably not that, you know, that well, like, you know, so I guess, you know, beaches here and there. My mom's purse got stolen. We had to go to, <laughs> we actually had to stay an extra day um, to like get a new passport from the embassy before we could fly out when oh, everyone no. else, like when everyone else had left. Yeah. Uh, um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I have, you know, memories like wandering around here or there. So it's kind of just, you know, flashes if I really rack my brain for it. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, I don't have any real strong connection to Brazil. Most of my associations with it are like the Amazon rainforest, which you said. I know that's where most of the forest is. Um, and like Carnival. And the fact that it's like the one South American country where they speak Portuguese instead of Spanish. Um, and then there was the Olympic Games were held in Rio de Janeiro couple of years ago apparently it was really hard to actually organize and there was a lot of fear about crimes but apparently it went mostly okay and i'd seen a few brazilian films before city of god was really big in the 2000s so i i got that as a teenager and watched it and really enjoyed it um a bit later i watched uh, black orpheus which is a film from the 1950s which is um a sort of a retelling of an ancient greek myth so it's essentially like a relationship drama set around Carnival, but all these sort of supernatural elements start coming in and there's this sort of doomed romance at the center of it. Um, that was really good. That's a really lively, vibrant film. Um, but other than that, yeah, not, not a lot. Um, so I enjoyed learning a bit more about it for this episode. Maybe like adjacent to like Brazil, but uh, when my father was still alive, we owned a, a like palatial estate in Costa Rica that we would summer at. Oh, really? Meant like... Probably a year of my life in Costa Rica, and then on top of lots of Spanish courses, I have, like, passable... I could definitely understand, like, a quarter of the dialogue in all these movies, and parsing that mutual intelligibility in romance languages, it was really cool to try and work my way through that on my own. Well... Uh, today we're going to be chatting about um, some Brazilian films. Each host has chosen a film about Brazil or set in Brazil. And I believe, Matt, you'll be telling us about our first film, City of God. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is probably, you know, in the States, probably the, the most well-known Brazilian film, given it's um, what happened with it at the getting four Oscar nominations. Um, although I... I I ended up doing some some research about it because I was like I knew it got Oscar nominations and I looked up what they were and and they're all for major categories and not foreign language film um, and so because it was it was like director screenplay cinematography and and editing um, and so I looked into this and it's because they were they ended up being nominated for the 2004 um, Academy Awards even though the movie came out in 2002. Um, so the, the time it would have been eligible for, you know, foreign language would have been Oh three, um, in those awards. Um, but there's always been, there's always been weird stuff around that category and they've made changes recently that I don't know the details of, but you know, it can have limitations where, you know, the, the essentially the country itself has to, to choose its representative that it submits like for the, for the award, um, and you can't have like more than one from each country. I don't know if they've changed that detail recently, um, but I know they've at least changed it from um, foreign language to like international feature or whatever in some some case, so that it doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, it, you know, it can be in English. Um, but yeah, but but anyway, <laughs> you know, apparently, it, you know, it was it was a big enough film and it ended up being popular enough that they you know, released it in, in theaters in the States and they they kept it running into 2003 so that it could be eligible for the 2004. And, and it was mainly the, you know, production company um, who kind of put forward this, this push for the nominations. 
Uh, I won't mention the name specifically because it's that guy um, mm. who, who may or may not, you know, <laughs> have a movie about him out right now this weekend <laughs> called She Said. Um, so it was it was him that did the uh, did the push for that and kind of got these nominations. But they <laughs> they are well deserved. It's you know it's interesting. So you know it was made in the early two thousands, and so it really it really has that kind of style of filmmaking that you would see in like action thrillers around that time. Like if you ever watched a Tony Scott movie during that period, you know, something like man on fire, um, where, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of like quick cuts through, you know, both like within the scenes themselves and through kind of like various streets and the city, like kind of when it's establishing its setting and like the camera's like moving very quickly and like blurs a lot kind of have these like weird you know uh, flashing colors and stuff of like you know greens and, and yellows and and stuff like that um so it's it's very interesting like kind of going back to that really frenetic style um you know it has kind of some some like the handheld a lot of handheld stuff and a jittery camera like you would see you know in kind of the, the, those those born movies were famous for of just like <laughs> nauseating people um, with those crazy action sequences. So it's certainly, certainly interesting, like, you know, kind of seeing that, that style again, that really like frenetic pace. Um, but like, yeah, but if you really focus on it, you can, you can see why this movie was nominated for cinematography and editing. Um, it, it's, it's very good. And every once in a while, the, you know, it'll slow down a little bit and, and kind of, and really have just, there's so many, there's such a variety of interesting like shot styles and and techniques that he just like switches through constantly throughout the film. Um, one that really stuck out to me is is kind of like Shaggy's death, um, where he's kind of like he's kind of going up to the, a car and like trying to escape out of out of the city and then gets hit and then it's just like and then it's just a shot in the, in the camera from the car like driving along and it's just him like running through buildings and like taking more hits until he eventually dies. It was, it was a really impressive um, scene and just like a, you know, a single camera take of this guy just like sprinting through um, kind of in between alleyways and stuff um, that was, I was really struck by, um, you know, anyway, I kind of just jumped off here, but you know, this, uh, <laughs> this is a movie kind of, you know, it's, it, it's a, a crime thriller, you know, it, it's kind of one of your, your classic, um, you know, kind of, <laughs> In the in the thick of it all um, type movies where you see you know characters and actors kind of age up you know kind of in this in this city where it's very very hard for any upward mobility and so you're kind of you know stuck between very limited options of what you're gonna try and do to survive and and make a living in the world um, and so yeah so it's kind of so we see kind of a few characters grow up through it and you know get representations from from either either side of the tracks as they might say um you know so it kind of has kind of has stuff that you know we've we've seen in other things you know your your slumdog millionaire type thing or or your boys in the hood um where kind of you get that just kind of get this like inner city lifestyle and and try and you know how they're making their way through life and then obviously the the drug the drug trade and the gangs and get involved in all that and we kind of just see these these characters going through it um and yeah, just some uh, some really, you know, interesting um, 
you know, just not any actors you would ever heard of with the extreme exception of, of Alice Braga, who has transferred over into, um, you know, pretty, pretty well known in the States at this point and doing various things. Um, uh, Fernando Morales, the, the director also, you know, is, had kind of, you know, this was, this was his big hit and, you know, went on to do the, the constant gardener and, and blindness and has done some stuff for, for HBO as well. Um, just a really skilled director and, you know, kind of does that also does that wire thing where, you know, it's a lot of just like local actors and, you know, non, no one trained or whatever. They just kind of, you know, just bring in citizens and extras and all that stuff and just have them in here. Um, and yeah, just like kind of the, just the, the pacing and, and, and the action and, uh, you know, the surprisingly like heavy violence at times. It's, you know, it's just all like in your face and frenetic and, and heart pounding. And, and, you, and I like the, you know, lead character and it's kind of his, his narrate, you know, it's a movie where the narration like style actually like works and he kind of like weaves in and out where, you know, <laughs> it kind of it stops and starts you know it's not all you know it's not always following what you know it'll follow a certain set of characters through a point and then jump back a little bit um to see what you know another character was doing and then bring his story forward you know it's it's not a, a style and a pacing that that works all the time but just seems to, everything just kind of clicks uh in this movie and i was i was really press, impressed by that and how it just just goes along and kind of this and how the the main villain, like, you know, comes out and, and is kind of um, the focus, like, throughout the film up until um, his eventual demise, a really, <laughs> a really Omar-esque um, demise <laughs> as what happened in, in The Wire. Uh, and so, yeah, I was just enthralled throughout. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, the reputation of this movie certainly precedes it, and I was really excited to watch it and it did not disappoint i feel deflated because i was going to talk a whole lot about the wire and you sort of beat <laughs> me to it matt um, yeah i i was reading as well that like there were not an there were not enough like trained black actors in brazil when this made was made so like everyone went through like a two-month crash course you know theater workshop and like they were all just local people, and it's like, yeah, you're in now. Uh, yeah, it maybe feels like The Wire in so much as uh, The Wire is Dickensian, like all these like tiny micro stories that make up this like larger uh, cultural ecology. That's definitely how this movie feels. Um, and and it's cyclical too. Like that's that's always a big thing with the. <laughs> the drug trader, you know, the war never changes, you know, all all that style of, of stuff where, you know, one person rises and then falls and then someone else rises in its place and it's just the same over and over. Yeah, the very end was Wire series finale. Like, the game remains the same, but yeah. Michael becomes the new Omar and Lorenz, <laughs> will be, Lorenz will be the drug lords, you know, a generation from now. Yeah, I think uh, the cinematography reminded me a little bit of The Wire as well, in the sense that it's often like you're getting a glimpse into like a hidden world. There's a lot of shots, especially with Rocket, because he's trying to take photographs from afar. He's sort of peering through objects, peering through windows and gratings and sort of seeing uh, what life is like. Um, 
at the margins. Um, and just that feeling of like entrapment, the idea that all of these, all of these, this underclass of people are kind of trapped by their environment and um, trapped by social and economic conditions to the point where it's almost impossible to avoid being sucked into crime um, because you're taught, like, if you want to get ahead, crime is the only way to do it. And, you know, there's several scenes in The Wire of characters trying to get a proper job and either being humiliated or losing the job or just, you know, being sucked back into that world because it's just, that's all they have. Um, Yeah, just this sort of, like, this sort of marginalized group of people who have been like locked away by society and they're not seen and not thought about by everyone else, but it's like sort of, sort of getting a little glimpse into that world, what, what it's become. It feels so like isolated too. like the police have barely any presence and uh, it's like beyond the newsreels. It seems like no one cares, you know, it feels like it's a, a war zone in another country and not just like a different neighborhood in the same city. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. The cinematography is really amazing. That's the first thing that grabbed me when I started watching it. And I'd seen it a couple of, you know, maybe like 10, more than 10 years ago, but it was a pleasure to watch it again because it just grabs your attention so quickly. Um, and I think it lacks the sort of the patience and the deliberateness of The Wire, but it's more just sort of like frenzied. Um, the mm-hmm. way it, the camera moves through everything, the colors are so vibrant, almost garish. It's almost like grotesque at points, how, how sort of uh, colorful and like bright it is. You get a sense of the heat and the, the bright sun splashing off reflective surfaces and sort of drawing beads of sweat from, from people's skins. And they're always kind of like shielding their eyes. Um, and just that sense, like it's perfect in the opening scene where you're just looking at a chicken, looking around, terrified, like look, getting snatches of images of uh, its environment and realizing it's in danger. And I feel like lots of characters experience that throughout the film where they're just kind of, there's so much going on that they don't even know what to focus on. And it creates this paranoia, like you don't know where the the gunshot's going to come from or the knife's going to come from or the danger is going to emerge um and also like i thought i love the non-linearity both like spatially and narratively like the fact that you're not you're sort of jumping from person to person and it's like now i'm going to tell you this guy's story or like it's not time to tell you this guy's story and it creates this sense of like a lived-in world but it's not you're not moving you're sort of jumping back and forth in time but also you're often that the buildings that make up the city aren't really discrete demarcated spaces that they're often like flowing through the city streets jumping in and out of windows where the city is almost like doesn't matter like they try to impose some kind of order upon this space and it doesn't matter everyone just kind of moves to the beat of their own drum and moves along their own invisible sort of pathways and whatnot you talked about the narration earlier duncan about rocket and i think it's it's interesting to me because uh, for Elite Squad, we'll, when we get there, I find the narration a lot of the time really oppressive and grating. <laughs> I agree. Oh, I 100% agree. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But Rocket, he's like, he is this sort of passive, you know, Ario Hotel, like camera POV, like this photographer mm. just passively observing things, but but in an insightful way. Mm. And he's such a normal, like, likable, geeky kid. Like you can like it's just bad luck that he's been chucked in this highly dangerous place, but 
and it, you know he's just trying to he's just trying to like make a living and get a girlfriend and you know have fun with his friends and listen to music and it just keeps his life just gets keeps getting um interrupted by this horrific gang violence um and again he tries to do do things the right way but it's like this system is just not set up for that he's immediately discriminated against and thought of as a hood and then he starts thinking all right well i i just want to like get some money um and impress this girl so i have to commit a crime um so you can see how easily it is for just any everyday person and knock out knock out ned this like you know, straight working class guy is just, you know, his life is just ruined by this horrific criminal element and just completely changes him as a person. And so many characters are like, you know, this happened to me and I want revenge. This happened to me and it's traumatized me and I want revenge. I, the only way I can respond to this injustice is through violence and to, to make other people suffer the way I did or make other people suffer in order to climb out of the hell that I've been chucked into. Um, but I think, yeah, it is really good to have Rocket because he is likable and there's so many really repulsive characters in this. So it's sort of, it allows you to sort of attach onto someone and root for them and feel protective of them. Um, and I was really happy that he survived and had a relatively happy ending by the end of the film. Right, yeah. Even though it's just like a minimal <laughs> paid internship that he gets from like all his hard work. Yeah. <laughs> like still just barely gets his foot in the door. Yeah going into uh, a, basically a war zone to photograph the most dangerous people in the country. Yeah. And then like no one else has the ability to. <laughs> um but yeah no that you meant yeah you mentioned the the sequence the sequence where he tries to, you know, go commit a crime to get money and just like keeps running into people that like he ends up like liking and making friends yeah. with. Yeah, I can't, can't, can't I couldn't do it, man. Like that was knockout Ned. He's cool, man. Oh, I he really like cool, that man. Girl. Yeah, I got I got her number. Oh, this you know, this Sao Paulo guy. Fuck this guy. It's like, oh no, man, he's just like hippie we can like smoke with. No, like let's leave him alone. It was it was, it was great. Is- which is really hopeful, which is, which shows, like, once you actually connect with someone, it's hard to kill them. So, like, all these gangsters just shoot first and ask questions later. But if you, if they, you know, for a character yeah. who just stops a little bit, even though he's compelled to commit the crime for, you know, whatever sociological pressure he's under, um, he realizes, no, once I establish a shared humanity with someone, it's actually hard to kill them. Um, what did you guys think of Little Z? Yeah, there's, <laughs> I have to say, there's, there's a lot of, you know, child soldier, child violence mm. in this. That that's pretty. That's pretty wild. Mm. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely not for for the faint of heart. And yes, yeah, sir, certainly the 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 maniacal laughing of that of that the young actor kid who who does that scene with the the motel is is pretty pretty wild. Um, but yeah, he's he certainly certainly has a has a presence about him and. You know, it's it's a type of character we've you know seen before in in various places. You know, <laughs> if we want to keep bringing up bring up the up the wire, like Marlowe, you know, a very um, very similar characteristic characteristics there. Um, and yeah, I thought he, you know he he makes for for a good uh, driving force. You know, even even though you can kind of just. You know, he's he's somewhat predictable in, in how is you know he's basically gonna respond violently to to most things. Um, but yeah, I thought it was certainly a very um, magnetic per- performance and a, a good driving force of the movie. 
Yeah, it's um, it's amazing to think that none, almost none of these were professional actors because I thought the the facial acting on Rocket and Little Z was really amazing at points. And he even as as despicable and psychopathic as he is, like that moment where he like tries to talk to that lady and mm-hmm. can't do it is like you almost feel sympathetic and then he immediately does something horrific again but it's sort of like even this guy he just doesn't know how to be human or he just doesn't know how to accept rejection he just all he knows is violence and and that's what he does and that's how he responds to situations and it reminded me of um uh the villain in like Schindler's List in the sense that there's like several moments where he almost starts to like be human and he just can't do it and he just immediately you know senses weakness within him and immediately responds with violence like shows a little bit of mercy and then like doubles down on sadism so it's just yeah it's a really i'm on death like comp is incredible yeah it's like this close to like some genuine connection with this lady and it's like this isn't how i'm supposed to be we need to quash this in me yeah yeah and then obviously we get the kind of you know a a classic um uh, what's the word um not not foil, but anyway, you know the, the a guy in in Benny who I I thought was a great character, um, really really enjoyed, um, kind of the the older actor and and um, him yeah his like transition from you know kind of like a hood to uh, uh what's what's the term they they used in the film um for just kind of more of a it's like more of a laid, laid back you know hippie Gro- style groovy sort of. Yeah, yeah, there was something else I'm forgetting. But anyway, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of like the... Wait, say that again? Playboy? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, that was definitely definitely one of them. Um, where, yeah, he's, you know, he's kind of the the classic uh, right-hand man, you know, 2Z, that kind of, basically the one that the one that keeps him in check as he's mm-hmm. more of a, a chill, laid-back guy. And then, yeah, once once he gets killed, well, and, and then it's over. Then, then it's wartime for the next, you know, year and a half <laughs> it gives it such a tragic epic quality that like the one you know once he is killed it's like all bets are off and it, the the favelas just descend into violence and horror mm-hmm. uh, and it was just because of a miss you know just because of a stray bullet that didn't find its mark and just because you know a particular song was playing or a particular lights were flashing a certain way it's like that moment changed the fate of the of this entire area mm-hmm and it could have easily gone the other way, and maybe the city of God could have gone in a more humane, you know, trajectory if Benny had been in charge rather than Lil Z. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of the sort of movement through time, like the fact that it starts in the 1960s, just as the city of God is being built, and it's mostly just open spaces and dusty plains and forests, and then it becomes more just this um, urban jungle. Um, and then slowly just disintegrates with bullet holes and flame and decay. I mean, yeah, like I, I always, I always like that kind of going through time and and seeing something something build up. You know, even at even at the cost of of time jumps and a frantic pace. You know, we can <laughs> make some as the the arguments that went around over. House of the Dragon, and you know all the all the years it's covered, and, and various jumping through time. You know, it's it's certainly it's certainly a hard thing to do, especially in in a movie format where you only have two hours to do all this. Um, but you know, I've always, you know, the, the reason I 
I read epic fantasy in the first place is, is I always like to see, you know, I always want to see more of the story. Um, mm. So I, you know, I always like to, to have kind of the background and, and everything and, and see kind of, you know, as, as many paths as, as possible that kind of have, have led to, you know, whatever climactic moment it is or whatever kind of the, the major turning points are. Um, in the story, so I like, you know, I always like having that history, you know, especially in a, you know, in a film that's, uh, you know, very much about a, a particular city, um, and kind of its its development over time. I, th- I think it's important. Yeah, it's it's great world building. You see the place being built over time, the political influences that caused it, the role that drugs played um, in changing the society. Um, all the different characters that make it up. Like you meet so many different people and Rocket is trying to explain who they are and why they're important. And at several points he even says, oh, this guy's important, but I'll get back to him. And he never gets back to him. So it just has this really cool conversational style. Like you're, like he's just kind of escorting you through the city of God and, and telling you all of, the, all of the stories, all of the little narratives that, that make up the fabric of it. Um, I also love the idea of like a hidden history or a history that hasn't been told, like the history of Brazil would be told from a very top-down colonial point of view. But this is the history of the city of God. It's the history of a small place. But even this small place that no one thinks is important and is filled with people who society doesn't care about um, has this powerful, tragic, sometimes comedic, epic story, epic battle of wills and personalities and hopes and dreams sort of churning around inside it. Um, And I thought it was funny how, like, even in the city of God, there's like a nostalgia, this sort of romantic nostalgia for what drug dealing used to be with the tender trio, like these sort of Robin Hood figures. They used to be the criminals, but then gradually worse and worse criminals took over and worse and worse drugs started circulating, you know, from weed and then to Coke and then to worse things and guns started to be involved. And it just kind of, you know, obviously rose colored glasses, but the idea that even the criminal underbelly was corrupted yeah it's it's such a it's so packed with ideas and a lot of the ideas are are only given a few sentences but i liked how you know when the city of god was being formed rocket says something about you know the fat cats in in politics don't really care about us they only care about these people they just want to get us out of the way Um, the fact that it shows why a lot of these drug lords are tolerated because they actually keep the peace that it's better to have one big powerful drug lord and you even see little z as horrible as he is he's going around saying like we don't want violence here we don't want killings here we don't want these runs going around wildly attacking and robbing people because that is bad for the community or it's bad for the police coming in and scrutinizing what we're doing um and it shows you the police corruption that all of this depends upon and the fact that the police are exploiting this uh this suffering and this violence and that even little z as powerful as he seems to be throughout the whole movie, is really just a little fish in a big pond that the police and the politicians are looming over and can just strip him of his power whenever they feel like it. So it weaves like a complex sort of socio-political tapestry, I thought, in a really entertaining and, and sort of blithe way. Yeah, for sure. Any more to say on City of God? No, don't think that's about all I got. All right, well, let's shift from the... Uh, the dealers to the cops. Alex, would you like to tell us about Elite Squad? Sure. So my pick is 
2007 Brazilian crime film, Tropa de Elite or Elite Squad. This is Jose Padilla's second film. Uh, it really put him on the map, and as I'll be repeating a few times, how obscenely popular this movie and its sequel were. Uh, it's based on a like, semi-nonfiction novel by Luis Eduardo Soares, co-authored by two ex-BOPE officers, Andre Batista and Rodrigo Pimentel. Uh, Pimentel has co-writing credits on the movie as well. And I think he was like on set in an advisory capacity, like if you want to like accurately portray, you know, the Bope culture. Um, both of those ex officers were censured and they had their lifetime pensions threatened. And there was some really serious uh, legal saber rattling, but I think they got off okay uh, because of their involvement in the book and this movie because. Uh, the like state government for Rio and the Pmerge really hates the book and these movies because of they view them as like slanderous and libelous and how negatively they portray the police institution. So whatever your impressions about the movie are again when we get to it, whether it's, you know, authoritarian or, or not, but state government of Rio hates these things. Um the main screenplay is written by Braulio Montovani, who also wrote the screenplay for City of God. So we have uh, that. Um, starring Andre Romero, Caio Junquera, and Wagner Love, who really exploded in global popularity in 2014's uh, Narcos as Pablo Escobar. The TV show is also produced and directed by Jose Padilla, so a bit of uh, grandfathered in there, and Maurer was like, uh, he was a, a known figure in Brazilian cinema, but he was like a mid-lister character actor in like soap operas and comedies. And really overnight, this movie made him an alpha male rock star sex symbol in Brazil. Like, again, can't understate the level of popularity. So uh, the film takes place in 1997 with the historical context of Pope John Paul II's uh, you know, papal visit to Rio. Uh, it follows two, like, uh, fresh greenhorn police officers and their, like, travails dealing with the hopelessly corrupt institutions. And then Mauro plays Captain Nascimento, who is a member of BOPE, the titular elite squad. Um, if I can wrap my mouth around this Portuguese, the Batallion de Operaciones Policiais Especiais. Um, and I think every developed country has something like this some tactical police unit that um has like military training and military hardware you know these are not the police that are going to be sitting at an intersection getting their daily quota of speeding tickets and then going home like these are really serious people that you call in for a serious threat and there's a whole lot of that in the uh, rio or at least in the context of this film so yeah i I'll lay my cards on the table and say I watched both this movie and its sequel in a pretty dry academic context um, in like a seminar where I was expected to be writing lengthy essays about it. This was not a, gee, I can't wait to watch this movie about how awful the police are in Rio. Um, and despite how critically lauded it was in Brazil and popular, 
and even though it won the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival in the year it was released, it is very polarizing negative reactions uh, from beyond Brazil, where is it like, you know, I'll be blunt, fascistic propaganda where this sort of brutal shoot first, ask questions later, like authoritarianism is portrayed as like, you know, a good thing, the solution to um, deal with the criminal element in Rio. This is from uh, Jay Weisberg's Variety article that the movie is a one-note celebration of violence for good that plays like a recruitment film for fascist thugs. Uh, and I have a lot of um, Portuguese interviews from Padilla and Montovani where they're talking about, you know, we made a, you know, an anti-cop film that was very critical of the state institutions, but uh, in the popular zeitgeist of Brazil, I think it was maybe accepted in the, you know, the complete opposite direction. Um, and it creates this weird dissonance where sometimes it's like schizophrenic, like it's maybe one way or the other. And uh, this isn't me being rhetorical or cute. Like, I genuinely don't know. Um, so, yeah. What do you guys think? If I trying to interpolate you in this uh, brutal pro-police film? or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, that was, that was my general, like, question about it, is, is essentially, like, what, what were the filmmakers, like, intending to do with this? Just mm -hmm. because, you know, like, like, to me, like, everyone in this movie sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so, yes, I, I was curious if that was, you know, pur purposeful and in, in the intent of it um or not um because yeah I, I would i would say it's it's very much you know an, an anti-cop movie and that was the uh you know i th that was kind of the the highlight of it um for me it was just like just how <laughs> just like how like bad these guys got um you know it really has it, like to me the the, the U.S. comparisons uh, that I thought of are, were essentially were, were Training Day and The Shield, um, where you know these the, these bo these BOPE guys like they're not necessarily like corrupt or anything, but but they're very much just like like in it for <laughs> for the violence and like anyone they deem you know even tangential <laughs> to the tangential to the you know, drug trade or lawlessness or something just like needs to be like eliminated in the most extreme like measures possible. It's it's pretty wild. Um, Certainty of of Nascimento's perspective, where it's like if you're a normal cop, you're automatically dirty. If you're yeah. just living in the favelas, you're a late party to the drug trade. NGO, like government organization, obviously a corrupt front for something. If you're a college <laughs> student. Obviously, you're funding the drug trade. Like, if you're yeah. a member of our tiny tribe, like, you're just like on the hit list. Yeah, and then they can, you know, even get into like the training or whatever, where it's just like, yeah, like how is <laughs> that's one of those like personal things that always give me like, you know, how is this helpful of like making them like, you know, eat terrible things and get constantly like battered? It's like how how does that like translate to you know, not um, like not uh, breaking under pressure, or whatever. It's it's so it doesn't seem like the proper yeah. correlation is there at all. Like, how does that make you? It seems more like a brainwashing 
exercise, right, just breaking yeah. down their will and making them utterly subservient to your orders rather than making you an effective police officer. Yeah, um, yeah it's, a, it's a hard movie to get a read on. Because, like, I don't... I mean, I kind of believe the director that it wasn't intended as copaganda because his previous documentary was about how I think someone held up a bus or something. Bus 174, yeah, yeah. Yeah, bus 174, and it was about how this small-time thief became more and more violent because of you know, sort of institutional brutality. So it seems like he's aware <clears throat> that things are more complicated than good versus bad. And I feel like if he wanted to make a propaganda, he would have made the drug dealers worse. He would have shown scenes of people suffering from drug addiction. He would have shown the, the drug dealers doing worse things or torturing people. But it's really, I mean, there is that scene where they burn someone in a tire. That's pretty horrific. But it's sort of just as bad as what the cops do. Like, it shows the cops engaging in just as vicious torture as the criminals. So they're not necessarily uh, made heroic by contrast. Um, to me, it just seems like this is the story of like how violence begets violence. Or like if you respond with violence, this is what you get. You get the police just turning into another even worse gang. And the city you're meant to police and protect just becomes occupied territory. And like, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to read. Cause, uh, so I think there was an intention and then there was a result. And the result was the audiences were cheering the police um, mm -hmm. as, you know, avenging angels against these vicious criminals. Um, and sort of, I guess it does, it kind of postures the intellectual community as being sort of uh, wishy-washy and apologizing for criminality. You know, the professor says, the police brutalize people who have no, no choice but to um, commit crimes. Like that seems like it's setting up a, a straw man for the for the um, audience to root against and root for the sort of the rugged action that the police take against this obviously bad situation. You know, like the the the, the liberals haven't got anything done. Now we need you know um, he men to go and fix things. But of course, they don't fix things. They just torture and kill people. <laughs> so, so they haven't fixed anything institutionally or sort of, I don't know. And like the idea that this, this uh, lawyer in training is so, um, so motivated by justice and the law and bringing down drugs, like I feel like, well, one, that's hypocritical because you're going in and killing people, you know, for doing nothing. You're killing lookouts, like unarmed kids. How is that in keeping with the, the rules of law? It feels like he's picking and choosing which laws to follow and carry out. Um, I don't know. Like, I just, yeah, I can't get a read on it. So I, I have both of these. I mean, we can continue, but uh, these are Portuguese interviews with the Estadion. Uh, and I put these through Google Translate. So I think the gist of it's there, but I'm not quoting like Padilla verbatim on this. So, uh, in Elite Squad, for example, Captain Nascimento's exposure is clearly critical. The character serves to show the defects of police that tortures and kills. The film also shows the unviability of Nascimento's life. He can't even keep his family cohesive. However, the character somehow became the greatest pop culture phenomenon of Brazilian cinema and praised by the press as a hero. I think it's important to distinguish the difference between hero and pop culture icon. Nascimento is certainly not a hero. Compare him, for example, to Don Corleone. 
He's a char- charismatic character with popular appeal, though he's still a murderous mobster. In other cultures, there are thousands of pop culture icons that are violent with crooked morals. It's a sporadic, strange phenomenon that happens in cinema. He tortures innocent people and kills people that he should actually arrest. He does not have the moral virtues that common sense requires of a hero. So that's like from the mouth of the director. But when things are framed with like, oh, like all this, these montages of violence and, you know, torture with rock music in the background, it's maybe a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. There's, it's, it's meant to be exciting. As morally ambiguous as it is, it's framed as a music video. Um, I think um, there was uh, sort of trends in American cinema as well, where kind of these fascist anti-heroes became really popular in the 70s, like Dirty Harry and Death Wish um, mm-hmm. with Charles yeah. Bronson. And it coincided with these kind of surges in urban crime during the 70s and the 80s, the crack epidemic, things like that. This feeling that society was decaying and crumbling and the criminals were running rampant and politicians were doing nothing about it. And the system was ineffective to address this problem in society, you know, whether that's true or not, or whether it was drummed up by media. Crime was certainly much higher in the 70s and the 80s in the US, to the point where it created the conditions where characters like this were really popular and cheered, whether or not that was intended by the director. It obviously hit on some kind of nerve, social fear that these people were not doing things by the book, but kind of waging war on behalf of everyday people. So maybe it's a similar situation with this movie, where the film wasn't meant to show them as heroes, but because maybe crime is so bad or perceived as really bad for a lot of audiences, maybe they, I don't know, cheer characters like this even if they can't square all of their ideals they just kind of they cheer them because it seems like they're on their side rather than the criminals i don't know it's very sort of bleak idea like well (laughs) he's a bad guy but at least he's our bad guy you know he's punishing (laughs) them and not us i don't know it's very wild west i guess mcconaughey and true detective like we keep the other bad men from the door (laughs) yeah 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 exactly yeah like we you know, it's it's very uh, reactionary. It's like the current system is weak. We've been made to feel weak, so we need someone strong and ruthless to, you know, set things right again. <laughs> yeah, and that's and probably all propaganda and ideology, um, but it works. I think. Right. Yeah. And that's it's interesting <laughs> that it works. It works at a certain point in America, and it works in Brazil. I think because people perceive the system as broken. Crime is rampant. Corruption is rampant. The system that's meant to protect us is failing. But again, that's the perception, I think, that, that lionizes characters like this, even if they're not meant to be seen as, as uh, champions of justice and, you know, the, the common man. They become it. And, you know, they become it in part through stylizing and making them seem cool and using video and cool edits and cool lines. Bad so one liners. It's kind of, the director kind of wants his cake. He wants to eat his cake and have it too. Yeah. Put him on the Pope's tab before you just execute someone. <laughs> it's a crazy <laughs> line. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's not even. It's not even that they want to fix things for its own sake. They just want to fix things so it looks good to the Pope, so the Pope doesn't complain about it. It's, it's so, it's so unambitious. I guess this crusade. Yeah, I have it in the notes, but like uh, the similar phenomenon was going on during the Rio Olympics. Like suddenly. 
you know, Brazil is on the global stage and like we need mm. to make sure there's no problems. Like there's definitely there's pictures you can see of like beyond the Olympic Village, like both black clads like on armored personnel carriers, like it's like they're defending a green zone in the middle of a war ravaged city or something. Yep. Yeah. Happy faces, happy faces. Everyone smiling. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. there's such a there's such an again the movie just it, it, I can't get a read on it because there's such a deep hypocrisy in sort of waging this torture and, and indiscriminate murder in order to set the stage for the Pope like it, you just can't square <laughs> those two motivations yeah so yeah I mean I was definitely you know definitely definitely there's some things I like some things I just you know didn't about the film I you know the, obviously the central character of, of Wagner uh, Mora is, you know, a, a very magnetic uh, actor and, and performance, um, you know, similar to what we did with, with Escobar. Um, and, and yeah, and I liked, and I liked the kind of the other supporting character of, of Matthias and um, kind of, yeah, his, his journey of just becoming <laughs> angrier and, and angrier and just <laughs> growing to just hate everyone and, you know, being being pulled essentially into this this cult thing, and you know his his journey, you know, and and transformation kind of just from you know a a poor you know aspiring lawyer into just this this hardcore um, SWAT member, um, and yeah, with and yeah, culminating in in the end with the the shotgun revenge. I thought I thought I thought it was a great great journey. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree that I just I really did not <laughs> did not like the the narration in in, in this movie. So like, here's a big bombshell. Like there was a this movie infamously like had a pre-production leak where the whole movie was available, and like the original cut of the film did not have any Wagner Mora narration, but they liked him so much that they uh they like added all that so he could like have more to do mm. and i wonder like how the film plays without it's like oppressive you know like seeing matthias like curse out all these people and being like awful dressed in black like these people had a peaceful protest and then nascimento's narration he was turning into a real boat man <laughs> yeah <Come on. laughs> I mean, yeah, he was he was insulting. Yeah, I mean, he was just constantly insulting those like students, you know, just kind of like these like rich, you know, oblivious, um, you know, college students, just like insulting them left and right with every narration, where it's just like, you know, just you know, he's, he's smoking a joint, he has to be eliminated. They must be locked up and eliminated, and <laughs> just all this war on drugs nonsense. It was crazy. Yeah, I couldn't take the their name seriously Pope. I just kept thinking of like a dog, like pooping a dog's nose. <laughs> what did you think of like in class? They spent like at least three scenes talking about Foucault. What was the point of that? Oh well again I'll lay my cards on the table. I've only read all the volumes history and of sexuality. I have not read Discipline and Punishment, so I, I do I, not have that I haven't read it either. I've only read things about Foucault. But um, again, it seemed to be like the director nodding, like, yeah, see, that we're all part of a structure where the police are sort of just as exploited and, you know. Servants uh, of like status. You know, yeah. Yeah. She's moved 
and and controlled by ideological structures uh, in this kind of war. Um, they're expected to behave. They, they police themselves and they police their own minds to behave a certain way. And and you know, the second half of the film is about conditioning the mind to behave a certain way, which is all very Foucaultian. I don't know. It's maybe a bit on the nose. Yeah, but again, it's like it's teasing. Like, is it fascist or is it a depiction of a fascist system? Who knows? I feel like I would. This is a weird thing to say. I feel like I would have enjoyed the film if it was more fascist. Like, if it made the criminals more a, villainous, a, like Death Wish, and you could sort like of you could Starship actually Starship Troopers. Yeah. Mm. Or, or, or yeah. So so either either make it satirical or make it like just reactionary nonsense like schlocky nonsense like death wish where you know it's bad but you can at least cheer at how silly and 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 violence it is like and i can cheer like a bad guy getting killed even if i don't think that's a a reflection of the real world um but it's sort of yeah it was somewhere in the middle where it just wasn't quite as entertaining like there was entertaining moments and the final shot you know Shotgun blasts to the head, cut to credits with a rock song. It's pretty entertaining. But the rest yeah. of it, yeah, it was a little, it was a little bit dry at points, unfortunately. I was, I was kind of surprised at the, the sudden transition into the, the training, where it just felt the very... full metal jacket interlude. Mm. Yeah. There's this, like, horrifying anagnosis where it's like, these are just cops. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, repeated so often. It's like, they're the three types of cops. And the those who engage in war, like we're going to war, they need <laughs> for war. Like the the chanting songs about fighting subversive guerrillas, and it's like, <sighs> yeah, exactly. You're meant to <laughs> police community. You're meant to be keepers of peace. You're training for battle. You're killing people, anyone you see. It, 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 well, I think it, again, again, it's it's the wire. It's uh, it's Bunny Coven's speech about once you start. Training yeah. people to be soldiers, the community is just, you know, the the neighborhoods you're policing are just occupied territory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The whole system is is corrupt, and they're just kind of like unwitting um, participants in that. Um, but yeah, the the brainwashing stuff is where it gets really <laughs> scary. <laughs> it's like, well, maybe you think you have things in control, but what happens when you're gone? And these are just highly trained assassins with no leadership, no moral compass. <laughs> Do they just become the new drug lords? And, and yeah. it's almost more scary that they're not corrupt. They're like fanatics. Oh. It's like, because you can understand a corrupt police officer, all they want is money. But these guys have like a, almost a religious dedication <laughs> to killing drug dealers. <laughs> like, so Suarez's novel, like, like even as negative, I mean, it's like more nonfiction, like, these were the accounts of these officers. This is what it's like. Like he argues, like they're incorruptible. They can't be bought off by politicians or the other police militias or the drug cartels. Like, but they have zero oversight. Internal affairs doesn't go anywhere near boat because they're too scared of them. <laughs> like, it's like the Terminator. He cannot be reasoned. Yeah. He cannot be spoken to. He will absolutely not stop until you are dead. It's um, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's that old, it's that a recipe old for disaster. Yeah, it's that all concept of just like perceived like absolute justice, where it's just like if you, you know, if you if you take that that route all the way to the end, like this is this is what you get <laughs> as justice, where it's just like everyone just gets wiped out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, this is a logical conclusion. Yeah, 
Everyone's um, dead. Yeah. As as a as a random side note, I will say my my favorite scene in the movie, um, and and I found it to be uh, like comedic too. Was was kind of the the leaders of of Bope just sitting sitting around the table discussing the recruits <laughs> um, coming in as to like who you know who might. Who might make it at the end of the training? <laughs> I found who we know is already corrupt, so we're just gonna beat the shit out of them. Yeah, <laughs> like I found, I found it like entertaining, and it was like kind of like the one I feel like like the one like human moment of them just kind of like hanging out, shooting the shit, um, you know, and also, but also just like you know, planning how this training was gonna go, and it was like comedic and stuff, you know, even though it's obviously you know kind of within there. In, in their like cult brainwashing you know type stuff too but I, I really enjoyed just kind of the dialogue back and forth with that scene also kind of flippant but <laughs> my partner's right. finishing her her MA in creative writing and often I'm saddled with being the beta reader and copy editor unpaid uh, <laughs> reading something like uh, about a dystopian society and like the author- authoritarian police like well their personal sigil was like a skull with a knife in it my feedback would be it's like maybe a bit too unsubtle could we tone that down and both was like subtlety what's that <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah lord oh yeah it's like that um mitchell and webb clip are we the bad guys are we the baddies <laughs> are we the baddies Hans, we've got skulls on our caps <laughs> uh and apparently the sequel was like the most successful, highest grossing film in Brazilian history. Is that true mm-hmm. still? Uh, I'd, mm, I think maybe for like gross sales at this point, but I'm sure some Marvel superhero has outpaced it for gross revenue. Um, elite. But yeah, again, in obscene cultural phenomenon like popularity. It's fascinating. If you guys had morbid morbid curiosity or enjoyed this one like you might try the sequel because i think (laughs) it's still gnarly in the same way but it has a thematic political clarity that this first movie lacks okay Um, one spoiler alert nascimento gets divorced and does not repair his relationship with his wife (laughs) so all the like miserable work he was doing to like retire and be happy comes to nothing yeah no even that, like he he yells at his wife, and they never make up. Like, if they wanted to make him sympathetic, that would I don't know. They would have had a, a makeup scene, or they would have had some yeah. kind of reconciliation. But yeah. like, I don't, I don't know how he's seen as a hero, or is he just sort of is that just you know he's just a man, he's just living on the edge. I don't know right. how it's seen by I'm, people who love him. Mark has this incredible body language where it's like. He's lolling his head like a rabid dog, like wagging his finger in someone's face, and like it's maybe like silly when it's against the the aspirant recruits, but I mean we don't see like any physical violence, but just seeing that body language deployed against his wife, like just immediately yeah. clench up, tense back in my chair, like so uncomfortable. Yeah. No, it's a great physical performance, and like you see it at the beginning where he's sort of twitching nervously before a, a raid. And then he's kind of beat, he's, you know, beating up and slapping one of the drug dealers. And it, you get that sense. And yeah, later in the scene with the wife, that it, he's just got this, this sort of animalistic rage inside him that he tries to harness, but sometimes he just can't control it. And it's, yeah, it's 
when he can't direct it. Like he can sort of channel it yeah. in what he sees in productive ways, but air quotes yeah, sublimating it healthily. Yeah, ultimately, <laughs> it, um, it's it just poisons who he is. I actually I had no idea he was he was Brazilian <laughs> until I saw this. <laughs> And you just assume he was like Hispanic of uh Right, yeah, I just assume right. you know, from you know, some what? Spanish country or the other, you know, whatever South American country. What is he is he does he star in American films? No, well just when I saw him as Pablo Escobar and in Narcos. In Narcos. Oh Narcos. Narcos, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, uh, it, that's like yeah, if you I don't know if you've watched it, but yeah, it's an incredible performance. Yeah. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah. All right. I uh, might move on to our last film. So Central Station, or Central do Brasil, is a 1998 drama film directed by Walter Sales. It tells the story of a jaded middle-aged uh, woman named Dora, played by Fernanda Montenegro, who works at a train station writing letters for illiterate customers. One of her customers is the mother of Jose, a poor nine-year-old boy. When his mother is killed by a bus, Jose is left homeless. And Dora takes him in and eventually escorts him on a trip to northeast Brazil to find his father. Uh, this is a pretty simple story, but it's really enhanced by powerful, subtle performances and striking cinematography. Um, it's often bleak and cynical in tone, but this is punctuated by moments of hope and humanity. Um, I really enjoyed parts of this film, but I found it dragged at other points. Um, I think the highlight of Central Station is the relationship between Dora and Jose. I think it's a, a moving depiction of two lost characters who um, simultaneously resist and long for connection. And I thought the ending was really moving as well. So, yeah, pretty pretty good movie, I thought. What did you guys think? I think I was the only one who watched it, right, Matt? Uh, That's right. Yeah, I was... Um... Yeah, I think like on paper it seemed like maybe this would be kind of saccharine and overly sentimental, but it's it's not really like that for most of the film. And uh like it was good. I was I was along for the ride, but I I was genuinely like hunched over in tears at the like final monologue send off. <laughs> it was just so upsetting. Again, um yeah. My father died when i was pretty young so like the existential despair of like i just miss my father i know the pain you're feeling if i could help you like maybe i could heal myself like uh, well yeah it's not uh it's not as sort of conventional as you might expect from say a hollywood film like neither character is especially likable at the beginning but they're also recognizably human I think, yeah, Dora's just very jaded and selfish. She just doesn't care about other people. And I think she's really sort of closed herself off to other people for whatever reason. And that just makes her initial response to the kid just like, why are you bothering me? She just doesn't care about her customers. Like in a normal film, you'd expect them to stay together, but they don't. But it's still, I don't know, it's still powerful. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say about it. I thought the both performances were really strong and... Just those moments where they start to connect was really beautiful. Um, Dora telling him about her father and then finally referring to her father at the end is really powerful. And it seems like both of them are just missing someone and Dora's almost like this 
this person who was missing something and she recognizes that he's also missing something and trying to like, even if she can't find that thing for herself, she can try and find it for him. So maybe she sees a bit of herself in the, in him. I don't know. But it was it was sort of the initial scenes at the train station were really brutal. Like it showed how callous everyone was to each other. Like she sees a thief run down the tracks and get shot. And then she just, you know, has no choice but to shrug it off. All these homeless people and thieves are just, you know, treated like rubbish. And she sees one of the police officers trying to you know, get rid of Jose after his mother's been killed. So it's, a, it's like a portrait of a very callous, individualistic society. And even when they're traveling, it just feels like they're strangers for a long time. But it's not until like they're both forced into desperate circumstances that they start to connect. Like it feels like really when they've lost all their money, they've lost everything. And Jose says, suggests, you know, why don't we, um, why don't we try and make some money writing letters that they kind of start to click with each other. So, um, yeah, I like that. I liked seeing the transition from the city to the countryside. That was kind of cool because the first two films we talked about were in Rio de Janeiro, but this one actually goes out into the countryside a bit more. And you see it's quite bleak. Um, There's a lot of hopeless and poor people and most of them sort of turn to religion or alcohol to kind of like escape. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Like I didn't love it. Like I did actually find myself checking my watch, but then other points I'll be like transfixed by the performances. Yeah. I mean, I'll reiterate what I said like in our chat that, I sort of bemoan that like all of our choices revolved around Rio in various flavors. And it's like, you know, this is like doing a, we're doing our American cinema round table and everything's about New York city. Like, <laughs> like Brazil is a massive country that can multitudes, but uh, at least in the context of this one, like the sense I got was that like urban life is just this soul sucking, like ennui. Mm. where you know you see like a pickpocket executed and you know that's just a part of daily life you go on and it's like leaving the city is this spiritual cleansing i guess which ties into like all the thematics about you know a pilgrimage like navigating a sacred space to go elsewhere yeah Yeah, i think i don't know if you was it walter benjamin he talks about the the flaneur the sort of the city stroller and how to make sense of cities, a lot of people would just kind of walk around them and just kind of coat themselves in this armor where there was just so much going on in a city that you almost had to become detached for, from it. Otherwise, you'd go crazy. It's just Sensory overload. On. Yeah. 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 So things like execution of a pickpocket or killing of a mother and homeless children, like you can't get invested. Otherwise, you'll go crazy. If you stop and contemplate every homeless person you see in a city, you'll go mad. Um, but yeah, that also creates a certain level of callousness and, and <laughs> isolation from your own humanity, I think the film shows. Yeah, to, to quote a, uh, a New York rapper I listen to, LP, he's part of Run the Jewels. It's, it's, yeah, it's like, I stay on my New York shit, mind yourself, continue walking. Like, <laughs> it's just kind of that, that thing, you know, like, you know, you just kind of <laughs> keep out of other people's business sometimes and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading a little bit about Brazilian cinema and apparently the two main settings for a lot of films are Rio de Janeiro, but also the, the Northeastern backlands, which are called the Soteo. So these are like the main settings or the main um, backdrops for a lot of big films. So it makes sense that we've kind of stumbled across 
these settings in the three films we chose. But it talks, especially Cinema Novo, the sort of 70s and 80s Brazilian films, it talks a lot about the, the territories of crisis. So the favelas, you know, overpopulated, overrun with crime, and then the northeastern backlands, which are impoverished and barren. Um, so it, we get sort of both of those bleak places, bleak for different reasons. And it's not, it's not like a conventional film where, you know, you leave the city and you find hope and redemption and spiritual fulfillment in the, in the, um, the countryside. The countryside is very much bleak and hopeless as well in this film. Um, thankfully, through a series of, you know, mistakes and missed opportunities, they find their way to a group of people who can take care of Jose, um, but they very easily couldn't. Yeah, the landscapes were so so striking and beautiful. I uh, my like chauvinistic perspective is like Brazil equals urban sprawl and tropical rainforest, and that's it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Seeing this like uh like savanna like drylands like it looks like something out of a western almost. Yeah, absolutely. Not what you'd expect at all. Yeah. Um, I thought it was also interesting how the movie is kind of like a quest narrative, but they never really reach their destination. And a lot of the places they occupy are these kind of interim points. So the train station, it's not a destination in itself. It's a place between places. And then they're in cars and buses. They're often at truck stops, motels, on the road at markets it's all these kind of interim places these meeting or these crossroads but they never quite reach their destination and maybe that i don't know that says something about life that you never really <laughs> reach somewhere it's it's really just about the process or the the becoming i don't know but i i like that reading i don't know if you read this duncan but both uh the montage at the very beginning of the film and like when they're in bum jesus like transcribing letters all the people in those scenes are not actors. Those were like real, real people passing by, like transcribing letters, like for. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. Wow. It lends this sort of earnest, like verisimilitude. Like mm. it, it felt like those people in the in the country, the non-actors, were given more attention. Like, because the ones at the station, they're often cut what they were saying was spliced up with other images and other voices and they were just you know stimuli amongst other stimuli but it felt like the camera was very clearly centered on them in the countryside and it seemed like um dora was more receptive to what they were saying yeah, like, like it, connection there. that reflects her emotional state yeah 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 i'm actually listening to people and it's not just you know next 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 yeah and and maybe that's because like to me, it felt like because she's actually tasted desperation that a lot of them have felt. You know, she doesn't have a home to go back to. She doesn't have a job. She doesn't have a routine. She can't fall back on that. You know, she has no money. She she feels the fear of not knowing what's going to happen that night, of not having a plan. So I think maybe she takes them more seriously, maybe. And you could easily go the other way. It's like, I've got my own problems. I can't take yours on board. But I don't know. She seems a bit more receptive. Like, okay, yeah. I see what you mean. I see if that helps you, then I'll, I'll try my best. It is hard, though. It's hard to get a read on her. <laughs> she's very closed. And I think that letter at the end is the closest we get to what she's going through. I had watched Shakespeare in Love like years ago in a Shakespearean <laughs> film course. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm like flabbergasted that Montenegro <laughs> lost to Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. I know. One, one best picture, too. Like, so I, I unapologetically <laughs> really like Shakespeare in Love. Um, but yeah, it, it probably should not have won as many of awards as it did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember loving it as a kid. I haven't watched it as an adult. But, um, but yeah, it feels like Belcher was the hot, hot new thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like it's yeah, in, in, like actors in international films. It's all it always can. It's you know, it's really like a toss up. Like sometimes, sometimes they just you know, like are the surprise winners, um, and sometimes it just goes goes horrible. Um, see, I think like like Mar- Marion Cotillard did it once, um, and there was there was one recently, um, like a few years ago, you know, for a, a movie I'd never seen. I think it's a, I think it's a, fr- a French actress who won. I'm blanking on her name at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's always it's always strange. And it's it's interesting with you know with the City of God stuff too because you know they um, you know they they push to get those Oscars, but you know obviously you've got a a year later with the nominations, and then, and that was the year of Return of the King, so they had no chance because yeah. <laughs> Return of the King just got everything basically as a you know, as an award for all three films, like combined, is <laughs> essentially like how that went. <laughs> so I remember watching that as a kid, and like everyone almost groaning because the same people were getting up every single time. And by the sixth award, they're like, "We don't really have much more to say." Sorry. Yeah. In yeah, those no, features. Such, yeah, it was such a you know an interesting like legacy award essentially for for all three films. I mean, granted, that's you know it's kind of it's also a lot of how the the actor categories go like these days it's not not just a performance itself it's also just kind of like it's like well shit you know <laughs> leo's been nominated like this many times like <laughs> we need yeah. to stop you know not yeah. giving him one and, you know, and, stuff and like comedians that. comedians keep pointing out that scorsese never won an oscar we really got to give him one otherwise right yeah we're not going to be taken seriously anymore um and it is hard for to appreciate, I think, Fernando's um, performance because it is so subtle and there's not necessarily a clip you can show except maybe the final scene that really highlights what she's doing. It's very mm-hmm. slow and subtle as opposed to maybe a big speech that Gwyneth Paltrow gives in the film. So it is yeah. tricky because it's very much to, certain performances are, I think, prioritized or given more attention for awards. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we might leave it there. Uh, oh. So that concludes our d- main discussion. Uh, is there any other films uh, you guys would recommend from Brazil or any other films uh, from Brazil you're keen on watching at some point? There's another, uh, I would recommend Carandiru, which I think was in 2003, 2002. And it's about the, the titular prison penitentiary where there was like a very low-key riot and the... <laughs> They have a different acronym, but it's the equivalent of BOPE in the state of Sao Paulo, where they went in and just massacred, like, the prisoners. I think there was over 100 deaths, um, and, like, televised, and it was so brutal, so shocking that it, like, galvanized most of Brazil against, like, the police state and uh, advocating for prison reform. But the actual movie is, I mean, that's the climax, but the actual movie is, like, this sort of... Canterbury Tales 
episodic stories about the various prisoners and their lives and their histories and uh these were real people and you know uh not statistics um and for so the actual principal photography was at the prison like years after it was decommissioned and like after they finished filming like the whole establishment was demolished so there's something really eerie and creepy about that in context mm, yeah snapshot in history uh, Matt, any films you'd uh, recommend or want to check out? No, I don't. I'm not very knowledgeable about kind of other stuff coming out of there. What, what was that film you mentioned at the beginning? You said it's like, it's something like Black Orpheus or something? Yeah, Black Orpheus uh, from the 50s. That's a really good film. It's a lot of like dancing, a lot of really cool shots of carnival, cool supernatural themes and romance, tragic romance at the center. That's a good one. Hmm. Um, yeah, that interesting. Yeah. You might also be interested in City of Men. It's um, there was a mm, yeah. TV series adapted from that. from City of God, and then City of Men is kind of like an adaptation of the TV series. It's really good. I would highly recommend. It. I enjoyed it just as much as the City of God. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I wouldn't mind checking out Blindness, which is also by the director of City of God. I don't know mm, if it's yeah. set in Brazil or not. I think it's a bit ambiguous where it's set, but it's got Brazilian. No, yeah, because it's like it's it's like a dystopian future type thing i think yeah right yeah uh, i don't i don't know how far in the future it's supposed to be set but yeah it's essentially you know it's a kind of like a, a plague type story uh, yeah, where everyone sure. everyone goes blind um because yeah i never i never did watch it um and i've only i've only watched like half of the constant gardener which but i have that dvd sitting around here so i should probably like eventually watch um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, with yeah, with blindness, because I think it's I think it's Gail. I think it's Gail Garcia Bernal um, mm-hmm. who's the lead in that, who is usually good for a pretty pretty in- interesting performance. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting idea for a movie, so I wouldn't mind checking it out. Um, I've never seen a cinema Novo film, so I wouldn't mind seeing one of those. Maybe Black God, White Devil. Um, they're very sort of political films. Um, also, Four Days in September from the 90s, that, I think that dramatizes a sort of a left-wing polit- you know, political attack on the, the right-wing government. Apparently, that's really good. Um, yeah, those are the main ones I'd want to check out. But uh, let us know in the comments if you rec- recommend any other Brazilian films. So that brings us to the end of this installment of the movie Passport. Let us know what you thought of this episode uh, and let us know what other movies you'd like to hear us discuss. You can leave comments or questions on our WordPress page or join us on the Vassals of Kingsgrave Discord server. I'd like to thank my fellow hosts for this episode, Matt and Alex, and thank you for listening. Goodbye, or as the Brazilians say, ciao.